Welcome to the Upstack Podcast, an ever-evolving conversation on all things digital infrastructure, giving tech leaders food for thought as they push to stay ahead of the technology curve. I'm Alex Cole, and with my co-host and colleague, Greg Moss, we invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the latest technology infrastructure topics. Stay with us. Greg Moss, my friend, we're back for another episode of the Upstack Podcast. Got, got a question for you, as always. Ransomware, malware, smishing, phishing, what, what comes to mind? Cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. That, that's a hot topic. I don't recommend Googling cybersecurity and clicking on the, the news tab because it's, it's a little alarming. It's always good to be informed. But uh, I like to think I stay apprised of, of many different things. And, and cyber is obviously a very, very hot topic with so many different angles. So it's only right. That's the, the focus of today's episode. And who better to walk us through this ever expansive landscape than Ariel Pisetsky, VP of Information Technology and Cyber at Taboola. We're good friends of, of the Upstack podcast and Upstack in general. Uh, Ariel is also a, a member, perhaps villager, of, of Team 8, something that we're going to find out more about momentarily. So Ariel, uh, bear with me here as I read all about you. So for the past 25 years, you've been working in all aspects of the IT world, uh, including managing AS1680, which I believe is one of the first I, ISP networks in the world. You've built data centers before the cloud era. You've run all cloud native operations. You've seemingly seen and done it all, not to date you or age you by, by any means. Today, you lead a group of IT professionals uh, implementing state-of-the-art solutions from open source to homegrown to traditional enterprise software across Taboola's global infrastructure. You've held multiple positions, CIO, CISO, a role that we'll get more into momentarily, uh, for many web-facing operations from startups to your public traded companies. Uh, you've also worked as cyber consultant for government agencies and the cyber defense sector. We are very glad to have you with us today. Thank you. It's really a joy to be here. And I hope I can say things that will be interesting for the listeners. So tell us more about Team 8. Well, Team 8 is an extremely interesting organization. And the most interesting thing for me is the facilitation of the village, which is really, a, I'd call it a get-together of over 100 CISOs globally, from anything in manufacturing to the, the largest retailers to um, the energy sector, the food sector, uh, banking, everything and everyone. And we work together to improve our collective cyber knowledge, cyber, um, I'd call it resilience, and really help each other through different events, uh, coordinate in, in cases of extreme internet events that, that happen from time to time. I think that's amazing. I mean, village is probably the exact term you should be using, right? Or even tribe. You're, you're working as a collaborative effort to ensure everybody's safety. It's fantastic. Yes. You read the industry news, specifically digital infrastructure and just national, international news. And it feels like security, which we know is a very broad topic, is is everywhere. And it's only becoming more prominent. It begs a lot of questions and hopefully we can tackle a number of those today with our, our guests. I mean, that's, that's a really great comment. And, uh, you know, 
I look at it as the internet exi- has existed for what, 30 years? Um, Ariel, why does it seem like this is such a hot topic these days, cybersecurity? And, and um, has it always been front and center or are we just seeing it now? So cybersecurity has been around for a very long time since the actual essence of the internet, the, I'd say from, from conception, was never built or engineered for security. And the moment the bad actors, let's call them, found this problem, it became bigger and bigger and bigger, and it continues to evolve all the time. Um, there's a funny anecdote that we can look back to the 80s, and actually President Reagan, that is one of the first people in positions of like the top power position, actually identify the problem with cybersecurity and to question if the internet or what was back then the DARPAnet is secure enough and if the military is secure enough back in the day. So the kind of idea of cybersecurity has been with us for a very long time. The last few years, we've seen a shift, I'd say even a paradigm shift, where the crimes that are now committed are committed over the internet. And this is just because of the exponentiality of it, which is really hard to grasp. If you go and rob a bank and you want to make your living like that, you need to go bank after bank after bank, and it's a very linear endeavor. You have to go one at a time. When you're online, you can actually send out your attack, and it will metastasize from there. It will just multiply itself, and you can really parallel your attacks in such a way that they can be low-level attacks, high-level attacks, super sophisticated, and they can get a life of their own, continue to multiply as you move forward, and actually bring in a lot of revenue. Wow. It's scary. <laughs> it is scary, and with the, with the now invent, or with the actual, like, big markets for, uh, for cryptocurrency, it becomes even easier to transfer funds online from place to place. And that, again, is one of those, um, I'd say, additional fuels into this fire that is cybersecurity and cyber issues that we see all over the place. It, it, you know, the reach seems infinite of security or cybersecurity, um, seemingly touching every single corner of digital infrastructure, you know, being relatively, being newer to the industry, I kind of compartmentalized it into a solutions vertical, but it actually, it is across all the solutions that make up the backbone of, of the internet. Exactly how far does that reach extend? So I, I need to kind of pause for a moment and I, Greg, I think Alex just called us old. Beyond that, um, beyond that problem or, or statement, let's call it a statement, then the fact that, that cybersecurity is now feeling, uh, I'd say, more far-reaching, it, it really is because we have computers, computerized, I'd say, dig- or, or digitization of everything. Uh, if you go back, let's, let's look at the Washington Monument. Uh, not that it has been hacked or I have any cyber intentions or anything funny to say about that. There was an extremely old elevator in that monument. It was there for years. It was very analog. It broke down. When it was rebuilt, it was already built with today's technology. And that means that every new thing that is built or any, anything that is kind of taken out and then refurbished, rebuilt, is built on some type of digital component those digital components are getting 
stronger, bigger, and when I mean bigger, I don't mean in physical size, I mean in compute power. And that means that they can now be uh, individually connected to the internet, what we refer to as, as IoT. And from there, we really have this explosion of, of sensors and of devices that are connected everywhere that are hard to fix, hard to patch, hard to defend, and for just the economics of it, need to be accessible many times in a remote fashion. And this remote fashion is exactly where the world of cyber comes into play. Because if you think of, again, the, the good old, good old, the bad old uh, world of, of crime, then it was very physical and kinetic. You had to be up close and personal. In the cyber world, everything is remote. So if you have something that is totally disconnected, it is extremely hard to penetrate. But when you have the world of the internet connectivity happening and everything is cross-connected, then you multiply the problem like in, in the extreme. At the risk of oversimplification, are you saying if it's connected, it can be hacked? If it is connected, then there is a higher potential of hacking it. And it's uh, usually only a question of, of time, effort, and ingenuity. So the, the fact that something is connected creates a door. And now the, the question is, how determined is the opponent? How determined is that malicious actor that wishes to walk through that door? It begs the question, Greg and, and Ariel, around, okay, you have a number of doors potentially in your environment, personal or on the business side as well. Does one big lock suffice or do you need different types of locks based on the types of connections you have? So, so to elaborate on that, Ariel, let's take a real use case, right? A lot of these small and medium-sized businesses, mostly due to compliance and regulatory issues these days, are forced to find a CISO-like person. And a lot of them are defaulting to their local MSP or the person who's been supporting their you know, network infrastructure. Now, are they qualified? Probably. Uh, are they really qualified? We're not sure. So we'd like to kind of hear from you and better understand, you know, is a, is a weak lock obviously better than no lock? Or do you go with a pure play security vendor for each segment of security? So that's, that's a wonderful question, and I'd say it's almost a theological question. A lock, any lock, is better than no lock, that's for sure. A weak lock is, of course, a problem because you want to be as good as you can at everything. You cannot be as good as you can at everything, and then the, the question really is how much time, how much effort, how much capital do you want to invest and where will you get the most return on that investment? So it's okay to go with one vendor for all, or it's, and it's wonderful to go with best of breed for each one of the things that you want to protect. If it's um, end user protection, if it's firewalls, if it's VPNs, if it's authentication, if it's encryption, if it's uh, anti-malware, if it's backups. There are a whole lot of things in security that you want to be looking at. Having said all that, Let's go back to the weak lock. Eventually, the problems or the, the cyber attack comes in at the weakest link. So it is more important to be good at as many things that you can 
than being really good or amazing at one thing and then maybe forgetting the others. So I would say that having a weak lock is better than having no lock, but having an amazing lock and then maybe not having locks or having very weak locks on other things is also a problem. So you want to be as good as you can as at many fields within information security and IT security that you can, and then that will probably bring you the most return on your investment. It's a lot to keep tabs on. I mean, trends in the great in the industry at large, but also specific to cybersecurity. We've talked about how expansive it is. Greg, you mentioned the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. It, it, sure, large enterprises have CISOs, but what about the smaller and medium-sized businesses out there? There, there seems to be a, you know, a lack thereof of, of this role. If you don't have someone focused on security and information security day in, day out, what does, what does a business do? So we're actually, we're actually, Alex brings up another great point. We're, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, large organizations not only, you know, have the ability to afford a CISO, right? These are expensive full-time employees, but also be able to give them the work, the full-time workload. Uh, but, you know, the smaller companies, you know, when you think CISO, A, they don't have the, the money and they don't have the uh, amount of work that a large organization has. So, so do you see the supply and demand shifting here? Because right now we don't see uh, nearly enough CISOs to support the demand in the market. True, true. The lack of, I'd say, personnel or the, the ability to bring in the, the different levels of talent that is needed is hard. And that does allow for a market of uh, external CISOs or, or virtual CISOs where you have people that uh, divide their attention on a few organizations, which is a good solution when you can't find someone full-time or when you need uh, advice at a certain point in time. So any, anything is better than doing nothing. And the wider the coverage, uh, then again, the better the coverage is when... Um, you can also think of reducing uh, risk or I'd say el maybe eliminating the attack surface or reducing the attack surface. Because if you think about cybersecurity, there eventually it's, I don't want to say a game of risks, but it, it, it comes out of risk management. And risks you can or totally avoid, you can accept, which means you accept the, the risk that something will happen and all the things that can potentially bad happen to your organization. You can transfer the risk to an insurer and you can reduce the risk. So that is like the best thing uh, usually when we look at information security is to reduce the risk as much as possible and then we try to play on the other vectors as well. Reducing the risk can also be uh, the reduction in attack surface. So there's this uh, great example of, um, I think it was a hotel chain in, in Europe that was hit by a uh, by a malware attack. All of their uh, infrastructure was was encrypted, which is a crippling attack, really. And they were able to bounce back very fast with the move from a standard operating system to a secure operating system. In this instance, it was Chrome OS. So they shifted the whole organization into a read-only, browser-only operating system that is much simpler to manage. They had 
they had their trust back in their client infrastructure. That means they knew that their client infrastructure, their laptops, don't have a malware in them anymore, so they could connect them to their network, to their VPN, and they could bounce back and, and go back into operations. Um, we can probably share the name of the, of the, of the um, hotel chain because this is a public story. It, it's a use case on, uh, on Google. I believe that was the Nordic Choice Hotels, correct? Yes, yes, thank so you. They were, they were, so they were breached and innovated. They were able to innovate uh, probably a more dynamic, more robust solution even after their, their walls were, were breached and the, whatever locks they may have had in place failed. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. And that's a great kind of tip for anyone out there that the client side compute that, the, that is used within the organization is, if it is 100% browser-based, why do you need a full operating system? If you can move to something more secure, you really reduce the risk on that client and you totally kind of move into a world where security is much, much easier on a whole level of, or on, on a whole playing field of, uh, of different security risks from, from malware to, um, to patch management to uh, local encryption and, and so on and so forth. So, so Upstack, I mean, uh, Upstack, for our audience, Ariel, you know, we, we, we help companies uh, navigate the murky waters of vendor selection uh, through the use of data, lots and lots of data, um, particularly in some of the most innovative areas, right? So let's call it, you know, data center, cloud, unified communication, security, et cetera. These areas in particular are constantly innovating. And with innovation comes security concerns, right? Because every new um, release, you know, may show a vulnerability. So w when we're talking to our customers, how do we uh, best suggest they stay on top of the innovation uh, as it relates to security? Do they rely on their vendors to do this or do they rely on their internal staff or a combination? So I would say that it's absolutely a combination. Having the ability to do everything internal is a huge undertaking. Uh, we constantly kind of reach out to other organizations, be it Upstack or be it other peer organizations, where we utilize the experience that others have already found in the market. And the idea is really to A, reduce the, the amount of talent that I need in-house, and B, make sure that I utilize the data, the information of, of people out there that have already invested time and effort in understanding the problem and found different solutions. So it can be in the world of, of cloud, it can be in the world of SaaS, it can be in the world of, of data centers. There is kind of a lot to, to grasp. There's a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, kind of tweaks that you can have to be more secure, less secure, or to manage costs, to manage other parameters of, of such a deal. And any use of external help is, is wonderful. On top of that, user groups. Um, that's uh, one of the best ways to really get information that is out there. And last but not least, uh, there is, for the world of cyber specifically, there is cyber intelligence, which is the ability of a third party to kind of scan the internet and really give specific 
intelligence that is relevant for said organization in a, in a specific time frame. So it looks at a any breach that has been detected and is being talked out on the dark web, or B, look at the technology and the technology stack held by the organization and tailor the alerts for that technology stack, be it Oracle, be it Microsoft, be it Apple, be it uh, SAP, other software vendors, if any of those has uh, an alert, and, and you, know, you, you probably have 100 different providers within your organization, if not more, you want to keep tabs on those, so if you can have a curated uh, weekly alert list, that really helps. Very cool. Yeah, Ariel, with, with the Upstack podcast, we like to leave our listeners with some action items, maybe some to-dos, not homework listeners, but things that we might find helpful based on the conversation that you've, you've heard today. Um, you touched on a few of them, uh, mentioning you know, malware and, and other topics, and we talked about how expansive the landscape is as it relates to security, but what would you say are some of the hottest topics right now that listeners um, uh, should be should be aware of and, and that companies should be, be studying up to make sure that they are prepared for the next wave of, of innovation or even threats? So the number one thing by far is backups and, and why backups? And I'll, I'll elaborate on that in, in, in a second because backups, it sounds simple. It's, oh, I have backups. So it's, we'll talk about I have backups of that answer in a moment. The reason is it, an incident isn't a question of if, it's a question of when. Um, it was one of the former FBI directors that said there are two types of organizations. I'll find the name of the FBI director in a moment. There are two types of organizations, those that have been breached and those that don't know that they've been breached. Uh, it's, it's not even those that have been and will be. It's like really almost those that have been and that just don't know it. So it really isn't a question of when. Um, I'm sorry, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when. So when you look at it from that perspective, backups suddenly become so, so much more important. And if you continue down that line of logic, another thing comes up. And that is how attached are you to a specific server, to a specific service, to a specific uh, monolith of, of data. And if there is anything that you can do to reduce that uh, dependency and have services that are totally independent or totally stateless, that would be wonderful. Now, we all hold data, therefore we can never be fully stateless, but the the, the amount of servers and services that we hold that can be stateless, if we grow that, then that is wonderful. And going back to, ba to backups. Backups need to be immutable. Backups need to be such that even if the attacker is 100% within your walls, within your organization, sitting with you on your admin laptop, with your credentials, they cannot delete the backups. One option is, of course, to use um, offline backups, but those tend to be really slow and hard to return from. So cloud backups, and then you're going, okay, I have a cloud backup, but I can always delete it. I'm the admin. I can always delete it. So remember, most clouds, the big ones for sure, most clouds have today immutable storage where even if you're an admin, 
you cannot delete the data for a given amount of time that you predefine when creating that bucket. So if you create a bucket with a 60 day, 90 day, 100, whatever the amount of day, years, whatever you want, you incur cost. There's an issue of cost because whatever you write there, you can never delete. But you gain the force of an offline-like backup that cannot be deleted with the power of fast restoration because it is not on, on tapes. So those old tapes that 50% of the time don't work and they take so long to restore from and all the other problems associated with them, you suddenly get the power of offline at the speed of cloud. So that is super important and that is really the thing that will help protect from malware, protect from other types of disaster, allow, buy more time for the organization. So I'd say that's the top concern and I added a few, a little bit of seasoning around that. The second thing would be incident response. Make sure you know who to call. So we can make jokes about who you're going to call back from the 80s uh, or, or some other fun pop culture reference. But it, other than, than that, it doesn't have to be a company that you pay for incident response. It doesn't have to be something super elaborate. Just know who you need to call. If it's the legal team, if it's the PR team, if it's your uh, provider, if it's your friends in AppStack, whoever you need, that's your, that's your best answer. Make sure you have the phones. Other people know those uh, pieces of information and just be at a certain level prepared. That's incredible. I mean, this is, <clears throat> this is sound advice coming from an expert. Um, <clears throat> back to your, your comment on um, pop culture. Yes. I think, uh, I think that I've heard rumblings of the origination of cybersecurity uh, actually being modeled after a movie is this is this accurate yes. yeah so we spoke about reagan just for a moment and this is this is a true story president reagan saw the movie war games and within the movie war games there was the whole story of, of the movie is of a kid that war dials which means uses a modem to dial number after number until he finds a computer that answers and he does this for his fun, and, and he encounters a computer that is actually a military computer and hacks it and was able to cause some mayhem uh, within that system. And the president actually in the, in the briefing the following week asked the chief of staff, can this happen in, our, in the real world? Is this just a Hollywood story? Now, this happened a few months after the Star Wars initiative, and people were kind of... Uh, you know, cynical about well, another remark, another movie remark, where, where are we going here? But um, lo and behold, uh, a week or two later, the chief of staff came back and said, this is actually a possibility and we need to improve. And that was the first cyber directive that came out of the executive branch and really one of the first regulations to deal with cybersecurity. And we all have been learning and improving ever since. Regulation as uh picked up and and other things have happened so like everyone has has upped the game since that moment in in time i just want to make sure i have this this straight so the the concept of cybersecurity, maybe even the name was spawned from the 1984 film war game starring matthew broderick 
They get so that right. The the name cybersecurity came it was coined just a just uh just a tad later. But yes, the the idea of dealing with, with security within the government, within the army, uh within the mil military different branches at all started then. Um there is also a great book, if I recall, it's The Cuckoo's Egg or The Cuckoo's Nest. I need to look that one up. Uh, and that one is also all around the first security breach that was civilian kind of vigilante style caught and how hard it was back then to talk to the FBI and say, okay, we had a computer breach and they're going back in the 80s like, okay, but what crime was committed because there's no federal crime uh, with with computer breaches and and so on, so it's it's really it's really been an evolving an evolving field back from the eighties and and pop culture from the eighties. Yes, Alex, who would have thought Ferris Bueller invented cybersecurity? Right, I, I was going to say I thought that was Broderick's greatest film, but maybe I need to go back and, and watch War Games. <laughs> so put it, put and, it on and the, the name list. Of the book, that and, and... the go name ahead, of the book is the Cuc the Cuckoo's Egg. Uh, tracking a spy through the maze of computer espionage. Wow! And it's written by Clifford Stahl. Very cool. So we we've added something to the listeners' watch list, their reading list, and some other to dos in terms of cybersecurity trends to keep apprised of, and also how to make sure the locks and all your various doors are are good enough. You want that consistency, at least good enough across the board. Uh, at the risk of understatement, we could go on and on and on on the topic and certainly take up more of your time, Ariel. But we, we thank you for joining us today. And of course, thank our listeners for spending more time with us. Uh, this has been the Upstack Podcast. We'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Upstack Podcast. Don't forget to like or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.